Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Paddock Pass podcast. Uh, my name is David Emmett of motormatters.com and uh, here with me is the delectable Neil Morrison. Hello, Neil. Hi, David. How are you doing? I'm not so bad. Uh, you presumably are extremely jet lagged. Uh, yes, I think that's fair to say that. Um, I arrived back from Australia uh, yesterday, which was Wednesday afternoon. Um, so I've basically been up since 3am this morning. So, you know, if I sound a little bit more laid back uh, than usual, then there's a good reason for it. Well, generally you're so laid back that more laid back would make you virtually comatose. So that's uh, <laughs> so we need to be careful here. I shall uh, exactly. I, I, I shall keep the emergency services on call. Yeah, probably with um, that stick if I, uh, if I start the flag. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you were obviously in Australia for the uh, Phillip Island test, um, for the MotoGP test. You didn't get to see any of the World Superbike test, did you? Because you left uh, you left early, I think. Yep, yep. I left Phillip Island on, on the Saturday after the test, um, which ran from Wednesday to Friday. Um, so I didn't get to see any of the Superbikes, which was a bit of a shame, um, considering I had, you know, travelled the all the way there to, to, to be there at Phillip Island. But, um, but yeah, the MotoGP test was... Uh, you know, sufficient to yeah, to kind of remedy my uh, my longing for motorbikes, which had been in place for you know two or three months over the winter. So, and we had some. Uh, the weather was fantastic, wasn't it? I mean, it was. Uh, it basically meant we had sort of three lots of eight hours, three full days of testing, which we haven't had for uh, for a while. Yeah, exactly. It was fantastic. Really quite hot um you know for philip island anyway it was uh i think so, track so temper- only the one coat then <laughs> <laughs> yes only the one coat but the two layers of factor 50 pasted on uh, at all times <laughs> to ward off that that pesky sun uh but no the the track conditions were fantastic i think each afternoon uh track temperatures exceeded 40 degrees and as you say there was basically full um eight hour three eight hour sessions um so unlike sapang which was kind of you know the rain and, and the whole track and, and it fell into dry on time which turned out to be a bit of a pain and uh, that, that wasn't really a, an issue here so it was uh yeah it was good obviously maverick vinales leaves as fast as once again um he uh, let let himself slip a little bit by not being fastest on the first day but uh, the, the the rest of the week he was uh, he was quickest uh was it maverick who impressed you most uh, it was probably Maverick yeah, that impressed me most. Um, Maverick and Mark seemed to be kind of in a class of their own for the most part, um, not just in terms of you know setting the fastest time, but in terms of pace and consistency. Um, and when you looked at pace, it was only really Kyle Crutchlow that got close to them on the final day. Um, but, you know, as is so often the case with testing, it's really quite difficult to gauge exactly where everyone is. Um, I, you know, I think Crutchlow looks very strong. Uh, I think Pedroza is quite strong as well. And, and also Rossi, who hasn't, who didn't quite show his hand at, at Phillip Island um, on the second and third days, at least. Um, but I think even if, you know, you put all of those guys together, um, showing their hand at this very moment, I still think Vinales and Marquez would, would come up come out as the, the strongest two riders at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at the times, uh, I did a little sort of uh, spreadsheet uh, thing, made a little chart of the of the lap times from the race runs which they did. And uh, uh, basically, 
Vinales was uh, quicker, but only for a few laps. And it was Marquez who seemed to have the better race pace over um, uh, over full race distance, which was uh, which actually makes for a fantastic prospect because it looks like uh, it looks like it's going to be a proper uh, a proper battle, and it's not going to be settled uh, early on. Yeah, exactly. And it, it kind of confirmed what we saw at, at Sepang at the first preseason test of the year. Vinales is definitely the fastest at, at the moment, but Marquez has just got this incredible consistency and is able to reel off laps within two or three tenths of one another. Um, you know, which I guess part of that you could say is, is down to Honda's new new machine uh, with a new uh, engine with a revised firing order. Um, and also, I think it's something that Marquez has just been working on. Um, he, you know, he spent, I guess, 2015 and, and certain races in 2016 as well, struggling to match Lorenzo just in terms of that devastating, uh, ruthless yeah. consistency. And this is probably something that he feels, you know, isn't terrible in, you know, in terms of his own skill set, but could definitely be improved. And uh, you definitely saw that at Phillip Island that he was just reeling laps off. I think he completed 107 laps in the second day, which is just staggering. Uh, three, more or less three race distances, uh, slightly more, in fact. And yeah, he, I don't think he was hanging around on the on the Friday, on the, the third day either. He was... No, I think uh, it was think, 96 laps, I think, on the on the third day. And if you... Because if you look at it, he did some... He did over 50% more laps on the last two days of this test than he did on the last two days of this test last year. So, I mean, it, that's serious. Because he was complaining about his hands as well, saying his hands were completely destroyed, uh, uh, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was um, you know some effort to put in, and um, I think when you look at the, the the race runs that the riders completed at the end of Friday, um, if you took their their average lap time from those race runs, Marquez's average was at one minute twenty nine point one. Uh, Crutzel was actually the second fastest with uh, his average coming in at twenty nine point four, and Vinales was also twenty nine point four. So. Over a 15, 14, 15 lap run, um, Marquez was edging about three tenths a lap on the next fastest man, which, you know, combined over full race distance wouldn't, would make for quite a nice little advantage. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it really seems to me that he's, um, uh, he learned a lot from the, especially from 2015, when he basically lost the championship because the, the because the engine wasn't ready, because the bike wasn't ready, uh, and 2016 as well. And he's really, did, completely grinding out the he's not taking anything for granted he's grinding out the laps grinding out the miles trying to get make sure the bike is ready to be prepared for this season yeah yeah because really he started the last two seasons on the back foot and it just seems that Honda and him are doing everything uh, within their means to to ensure that they show up to Qatar show up at Qatar sorry at the first run absolutely prepared and ready to win that race yeah, uh, they uh, the, the Honda have been using three different uh, engine configurations. Basically, the 2016 Screamer, and then two different configurations of Big Bang engines. Could you, when you were out trackside, could you hear the difference? I mean, I, I at Sepang, I went out and listened, and I couldn't really notice the difference. Certainly not between the two two Big Bang engines. Uh, and every time I heard a Screamer, I just presumed it was a KTM. Um, <laughs> So, uh, could you? Uh, did you get a chance to listen to the engines? Did you? Could you tell anything? Yeah, from what I gathered, I mean, Honda are obviously extremely secretive in these kind of uh, in these kind of matters, and it's quite difficult to gauge who's riding what at what time. But from what I gathered, um, Marquez and Pedrosa both decided on the newest of the 2017 engines at Sepang. Um, they felt that that was the correct. Uh, way forward and both of them were using only those engines in Phillip Island um, Crutzlow I'm not too sh- not so sure about but I'm 
I'm assuming that he was also uh, using the newest of the two new engines, uh, whereas Miller was using the t- 2017 engine, which they tested at, at Valencia um, yeah. at the end of 2016. So it's not the, the absolutely newest spec, but it is a newer spec than 2016. And it is a big bang configuration as well. Or, or you know the supposed big bang configuration. Um, so yes, yeah, so we, it was difficult to tell really what was going on, um, and it was also quite difficult to you know Cal Crutzler would say one thing about the engine, and then Jack Miller would say you know completely the opposite thing. Miller was saying that it was, it's a dream to ride. The new configuration makes it so much easier, um, a lot less physical. You don't have to wring its neck all the time, and you can actually focus on which lines to choose rather than just trying to keep the front wheel down. Uh, whereas Crutzler on the last day said to me that um, you know this new bike is 30% more physical than what he rode in 2016. And I think in 2016, he was saying that that was the most physical bike he'd ever had to ride. So yeah. someone's comments we're going to have to take with a pinch of salt, I feel. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. And given Mr. Uh, given Mr. Crutchlow's recent comments, uh, history of comments being, um, uh, well, positively mysterious almost trying basically not not saying a single not wanting to say a single word uh, i think we need to be cautious with uh, with things which he says but uh, we shall we shall definitely uh, see what's happening obviously the uh, honda boys are going to um Jerez for a two day test uh, friday and saturday obviously they'll be testing the new engine there but the mm. reason the reason for doing that is obvious because Jerez is such a different track that um, it will give the, it'll really expose the weaknesses of uh, or the old weaknesses of uh, of the uh, the engine. Yep, exactly. If you look at the last two years that we've gone to Jerez for the race, Honda has really has struggled uh, both on both occasions. Um, and as you say, there um, it it does kind of magnify the issues that they've had in the past. In Sepang, Marquez seemed rather amused that the bike was still losing on acceleration. Um, that's something that he's been saying to Honda for you know more or less two seasons now that that they really need to work on that. Um, Jerez, I, you know, Phillip Island. The, the nature of the layout, plenty of long, fast corners. You only have one or two uh, two corners, in fact, where you're coming out from le- very low gear. Yeah. Um, and even then, that's only onto a short straight, so it doesn't magnify the, the problem quite as much. Jerez does obviously have those short uh, corners, so I think that will probably be a, a more accurate gauge of where the engine is at than Phillip Island, where, you know, in the past two years, Marquez has always been at the front and indeed Crutchlow has has also um so the honda doesn't really quite struggle around phillip island as it would do in, in somewhere like Hereth. do you think they'll be testing the uh, uh their aerodynamic solution at uh, at uh, Hereth as well because again philip island i was surprised to see that uh, both aprilia and suzuki uh, tested their aero stuff there yeah yeah no that's a good point actually um and that's something i hadn't really considered that it could be a chance for them to test it with uh without you know the kind of the world's media assembled um and yeah you would you'd fancy there's going to be something there um i also think it's it's something to do with you probably heard well you heard the comments in sepang also in the first and second days at phillip island um all the honda riders spoke of you know the length of time it takes to to dial in the new engine with yeah. the electronics and the engine mapping settings, um, and you know okay they eventually got there in the end and they were fast by the end of you know the first day of of testing, but that's pretty much eight hours that they had to dial that in. If you take that you know if you go 
to a rest weekend, you've basically got two 45-minute sessions on a Friday and then two again on the Saturday before qualifying. And, you know, you're not going to quite have uh, as much time as, as you would at a testing day. So I, I do think that they're going to rest also um, to, to basically try and get the mapping sentence you know, as dialed in as possible, because because for the second and third rounds of the year, we're going to Texas and we're going to to Argentina. Sorry, in the reverse order, Argentina first, um, and they'll basically be starting from scratch there, I guess. So that that could be quite time time consuming. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, obviously, if you want to start the season strong, then uh, testing at Jerez makes a lot of sense because uh, first you go to Qatar, we've already had a already had a test. Uh, then we go to Argentina. Argentina's a bit of a lottery anyway because of the uh, because of the track. Then we go to Austin, uh, where I think Mark Marquez wins almost by default. Sure. Um, I think they've probably already tattooed or or uh, um, uh, etched his name onto the trophy there, um, uh, and then. They come back to Jerez, so you, if he can come off those first four races strong and have a decent lead, uh, sort of going into Le Mans, then that's the uh, because there's again there's the there's the test after the day after Jerez as well to prepare yeah. for the rest of uh, uh, the the rest of the season. So yeah, I mean it's it's definitely going to be a very um, it, it's an interesting certainly a very interesting strategy, and I think you're right, it is about preparing the preparing the season. Yeah, sure, sure, and you know, I think I, I think Mark was doing quite a lot of bluffing in in Sepang. Um, when you look at Pedro, not just his performance, but Pedroza and Crutchlow have been in and around the top yeah. ten and around the top five at both tests as well. You know, I do think that Honda is in in very good shape indeed. Well, that was certainly what he was saying. It's uh, in Sepang that he was in much uh, uh, much better shape than he was this time the, uh, last year. And I think he was mm. saying saying the same in uh, in Australia as well in, in Phillip Island. Sure, although it would be quite difficult to be in worse shape than one goes in last year, to be honest. With uh, you know, reverting to Magneti Morelli, uh, electronics yeah. and things like that. You know, so um, you know, it's not saying a great deal. I think when they're saying, "Yeah, oh, yeah, we're better than 2016." Yeah, exactly. Well, um, uh, obviously, it looks like Maverick Vinales is going to be Mark's main challenger the, the, this year, just because he's been so incredibly fast. You spoke to him in uh, at the launch in Madrid, and he was talking about you know studying Mark Marquez's. Uh, uh, times looking for consistency. Sure, sure. Yeah, Maverick has basically just been saying the same line. I listened to what he was saying at, at Sepang in each of the three days, and it was pretty much the same here in uh, in Phillip Island. That consistency, you know, he, straight away he knows that the speed's there. We saw that in Valencia, and we saw that in the private tests, or we heard from the private test in, in, in Sepang at the end of 2016 that, you know, he didn't have to worry about the speed because that was just automatically there. Um, consistency was the thing that, that he needs to focus on. Um, I think he feels that's the area of his riding which which is still lacking. Um, and if you listen to Lorenzo and Rossi's comments towards the end of 2016, the 2016 M1 uh, was, you know, kind of found lacking uh, when it came to the later laps and how it conserved its tyres. Um, they both felt the electronics weren't quite what they should be. Um, and yeah, it seems that, that Yamaha has really taken a step forward in all areas um, for this year. And I don't know if you had to say right now you would say that the M, the current M1 the, the 17 M1 is probably the most sorted package at the moment um, but then of course you know we've still got one preseason test to play 
Yeah, exactly. Um, the it felt like it was um, the the bulk of the testing fell on Valentino Rossi rather than Maverick. Uh, was was Maverick doing a lot of testing, or was it really just Rossi going out and and uh, you know grinding out the hard laps, doing the uh, uh, sorting the parts out? It seems that um, that you know Rossi on the final day was given a host of different settings by Yamaha um, to test and. I don't know, you know, Rossi rarely, you know, he's never really been a guy that goes out and just dominates testing, you know, and um, again, he's a guy who I think, you know, we need to take his comments with a slight pinch of salt um, because on the final day at Phillip Island, he said that, you know, he had tried a lot of things and he wasn't happy. Um, he looked pretty tired, um, but then that's understandable because, he, you know, he had just turned 38. Uh, I, I don't think he had gone back to Europe between the, the Sepang test and the Phillip Island test. He had been out in the round Southeast Asia. I think he was in Vietnam um, for a host of different sponsorship duties. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Ba- basically, the the yeah the the factories take that uh, use that opportunity to to hawk their uh, hawk their riders around their most important market in Southeast Asia. So yeah, I think they've been sort of all over there and haven't done very much else. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I don't know if you saw it, David, but there was a, a video on a rather cringeworthy video that a fan had taken of, of Rossi arriving in Melbourne Airport um, when he was leaving um, to go back to Europe, and you know it's just a whole host of people and fans trying to take selfies and get autographs from him when he quite clearly wasn't in the mood for that sort of thing. Yeah, and completely and, knackered. And completely shattered. And you just felt like he, that he had probably been going through that exact same experience at every <laughs> airport since the start of the year. So you can imagine, you can understand it being slightly scandered with the whole thing. Um, yes. You know, and... Yeah, there is that thing that he's, you know, he's 38. So is he going to be that fresh at the end of, a, of an exhaustive three-day test where, you know, it's, it's it's hot and you're able to have as much track time as you want? Um, I spoke to Massimo Marigali on the Friday uh, after the testing had finished and he basically said that they were delighted with Maverick's pace. They were delighted with his speed. That was the one thing that they still had a slight doubt about um, going to Phillip Island. Um, and his race runs at the end of the, at the, end of the final day proved that it was in good shape he actually said which i think is quite telling he said that none of us really expected yamaha to improve all the problem areas as much as they did but they have done um so he said that's with pardon me with the chassis with the electronics um with the drive um it seems that you know i've heard rossi and finales both said the engine is really strong this year um and i'm guessing that means in terms of top speed um as well as kind of drivability and usability um so yeah so it seems that they're they're quite well sorted and i think it got towards the end of the final day rossi had been testing a host of different setups and they said do you want to try a race run and he said like look i'm just yeah i'm so tired that it won't be of any use so he didn't even fit a new time a new tire he didn't do a race run and i think you pointed it out on twitter I, I saw a few days ago or maybe it was maybe it was today actually um you were looking at the the level of of the, the amount that which rider sorry <laughs> the amount of time each rider had improved from day one to day three and rossi i think was the lowest you know he yeah just improved like 0.2 um so you know i think in the end he could have you know if it was a it was a fresh Valentino Rossi at a race weekend and he was all pumped up and you know he had been training as normally I think you would have seen him right at the front of the right at the front of the time and sheets and in fact you know Crutchlow was saying on the final day that if the race was indeed the day after the final day of testing at Phillip Island he thought the race would be between Marquez Vinales himself and Rossi um, so I think we could say that both Yamahas are, are looking pretty good 
Yeah, 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 uh, certainly. I also wonder a little bit because, I mean, obviously, I'm an old man. I'm a properly old man. I'm also not not quite in the same athletic shape as Mr. Rossi. But I certainly find um, uh, just all that traveling incredibly draining. And uh, even though, uh, you know, Rossi's flying around in business class, uh, which makes things an awful lot easier, it's still, it really, really does take it out of you. And especially yeah. if, you, if you don't have a chance to, uh, if you don't have a chance to, uh, to train properly um, and Ross is not a, not a monster not a real training monster in the same way that um, uh, people like uh, Lorenzo or Alicia Spargaro are um, so yeah you've got to think that by the end of uh, by the end of a three day test he's going to be completely destroyed uh, j- just just drained yeah. um, it, it reminded me a lot of the of seeing him getting off the bike at Mategi in 2015 when he just looked completely completely drained he looked as old as I think I've ever seen him look so yeah, um, yeah. I, I think the concern for Rossi is I mean there is no doubt that he's going to be competitive this year but the the, the, the concern is that three flyaways in three weeks that's going to be pretty brutal mm, absolutely yeah yeah and I think the thing for Rossi also is that just that the level's going to be so high this year I mean yeah. I know we say this all the time you know we talk up the series but really I think MotoGP is, is as in uh, a good a shape as it ever has been and you know Marquez and Vinales pace at the front only uh, underlines that yeah, and they don't like each other either, and which is also which is really going to help uh, speed things along as well. Yeah, exactly. And we saw a, a nice little snapshot of that on the final day as well. We were already rubbing our hands at the prospect of a, a Marquez Vinales uh, showdown, um, and then we saw. Well, we heard reports of Mark being just a little bit cute. Um, I think you could say, um, very subtly trying to wind up his uh, his younger nemesis, um, which which actually you know caused uh, Vinales. To, to speak out about it at the end of the day. Um, Vinales was going out and was, you know, starting a race run, a race simulation um, towards the end of Friday afternoon. And he soon found that uh, a certain gentleman um, was in front of him in the track, slowing. And he passed that gentleman, and that was Mark Marquez. And Mark then quickly sped up and started hanging off the back of uh, Vinales. And I think Maverick gave him one or two looks to say, you know, do you want to give me a bit of a bit of time alone here? I'm busy. I'm rather occupied, and uh, Mark wasn't quite willing to do that. So in the end, Vinales had to abort his race run, and um, you know, at the end of it, said, uh, "You know, it's four kilometers of track, isn't it? A bit strange that he had to sit right behind me all that time." Um, and uh, Mark was asked about this, and he played the very cute, uh, who me, innocent victim, um, you know, where he was just saying, "Oh yeah, and no, I was just checking out how the Yamaha was and trying to see where it was strong," and basically shrugged the whole thing off. So I think that uh, that definitely adds a little bit of spice. Yeah, exactly. Seeing how that dynamic plays out over the over the year is going to be extremely interesting. And of course. Um, uh, no way that Valentino Rossi is going to stay out of that because he's going to, um, you know, if, if for him it's a chance to take vita- vicarious revenge on Marquez by uh, by getting involved. Um, we shall have to see how uh, Vinales and Rossi get along, although uh, I spoke to Lynn Jarvis at the uh, Yamaha, at their global racing launch in, in Milan, and he said the thing about uh, about Maverick is that he, he idolises Rossi. He was his idol sort of growing up uh, growing up and racing um, of course the thing is all racers have idols but the point of having an idol is to have someone that you want to beat when you grow up 
Um, so there's no way that uh, that Mr. Vinales is just going to uh, roll over and and let Mr. Rossi pass. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I think um, I think Rossi has has been quite cute up until now. Um, at the at the movie star launch um, in Madrid at the end of January, he was basically delighted to sit and let Maverick do all the talking. And I was kind of listening back to some of the, the answers he was given to the press, and you know none of them were that revealing. It was almost as if he wanted to stay out of the you know the headlines. It was like, look, okay, well, there's this new young guy here, and you should be talking about him. And he seems to very much continued in that vein through the testing, you know, through Sepang and, and Philip Island, where he's not looking to set a headline time. I think that Rossi probably feels that his best tactic of winning this year is is to allow Vinales and Marquez to get caught up in some kind of, you know, formidable showdown. And, um, you know, him taking a back seat is probably, you know, and benefiting from any potential clashes that they may have, maybe his best way or his best tactic of, of getting that title. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's going to be interesting, as you say, um, to see how it plays out. Battle between you. Well, the battle between the uh, Yamaha and Honda is uh, uh, is warming up nicely. That looks like it's going to be uh, fascinating. When we come back, we shall go or switch to Ducati to talk about uh, Jorge Lorenzo and Andrea Davizioso and see what they uh, have to offer against this uh, uh, this onslaught. Be right back. Hey guys, Jensen here. Just a quick message to make sure you're following the show on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash paddockpasspodcast. All right, now back to the show. And welcome back. Right, well, we've talked about uh, uh, Honda and Yamaha, uh, the, the the big contenders. We di- didn't talk too much about uh, Danny Pedrosa, but obviously he's going to be fast, and you just never really know what you're going to get with uh, with Danny Pedrosa. But the big uh, the big news over the uh, over the winter was obviously uh, Jorge Lorenzo on the Ducati. Um, uh, at Sepang, we saw Ducati's salad box, their little uh, little carbon fiber thingy hanging off the end of the of the Ducati. Um, Andrea Dovicioso didn't seem particularly happy and uh, nor did uh, Jorge Lorenzo really. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely fair to say that um, Davizioso was as as curt as I've really seen him in quite some time at the end of the test on Friday. Um, really unwilling to go into any sort of detail um, as to what is wrong other than saying that it's just that damn turning that is still holding him back you know that 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 turning problem when he's changing direction and in the middle of the corner that he and Gigi Delinia identified at the end of 2016 as Ducati's main weakness and he was saying that you know even though the new bike yes it's it's improved in all areas in little small amounts but uh, it definitely the, the the turning issue hasn't been remedied and you could see that it was really quite it was it was annoying to Vizio was a basically by the end of the by the end of the three days. Um, Lorenzo, you know, just didn't. Yeah, he, he actually talked a good game on the Friday evening, but um, I was kind of down on down in the, the pit lane um, several times throughout um, the, the three day test, and you could just see whenever you looked into the garage and Lorenzo was sat talking to Ducati engineers and his crew chief that you know all wasn't well. You know, he did wear the the pained expression of a man that was slightly overawed by uh, by maybe the the challenge that lies ahead. Yeah, I mean, what I found interesting was his comments about uh, sort of having to relearn again. 
um, because obviously Philip Island is such a specific track, and it was a track which r- totally suited the nature of the Yamaha, um, and the Ducati is a completely different uh, bike, and he's having to completely relearn braking points and braking technique. Um, uh, breaking much later and much deeper into corners. Mm. Um, but again, that, that, that's not something that you can really take advantage of fully in Phillip Island. You know, like in Sepang, he said yeah. that, you know, the big improvement he was finding over the three days was just to learn to break deeper and a bit more aggressively. Whereas in Phillip Island, you've only got, uh, what, two opportunities to do that. And even then, you wouldn't say that going into MG is, you know, absolutely hard on the anchors like it is for say at the, the final turn of Sepang. So, you know, there is that sort of, uh, how do I, how do I approach this kind of mindset where, yeah, as you said, he was having to, to relearn basically how to ride. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is at um, um, a place like Sepang, you've got a, a bunch of slow corners where you can sort of uh, work through your technique at low speed and then try and put it into, uh, into, uh, uh, into practice in the, uh, the faster places at, uh, at, Philip Island, you've only got the faster corners and you don't want to be practicing, you know, breaking that little bit later going into turn one at, what is it, 340k or whatever. Um, uh, uh, heading into a corner which you're taking at sort of 200 plus k, it's not, uh, it, it's just not, it, it, it's not a safe it doesn't feel like a safe place to be practicing your uh, to be practicing your braking or relearning your technique. So I think that was I think that was uh, you know uh, that could be quite uh, uh, demotivating as well. It can be quite uh, it, it it can upset you a, a little bit because you can't really practice the things that you need to practice. So yeah, I think that was a, that was a particularly tough of a, a tough lesson. Yeah, absolutely. That's a it's a very good point. Um, you know, I think there's only really two points on the Phillip Island track where you could feasibly crash and, and not walk away with quite a serious injury. Um, and, you know, certainly going by Lorenzo's performance at Phillip Island in 2016, uh, which really wasn't great at all. No. Um, you know, it was one of those tracks where you could see if everything isn't quite feeling brilliant, you know, Lorenzo just isn't going to be, you know, sticking his neck out and risking everything. But he said that on the final day, they had made some improvements. Both him and Davizioso feel that the, the newest of the two new bikes, you know, the one with the, the salad box, uh, as yeah. it's become to be known, is, is probably the way forward. Um, you know, neither would really give much away on, on what makes that bike better than the other one. I spoke to Daniel Petrucci, who actually had two bikes as well. I think it's a pang. He just had the the one bike, the one uh, you know, seventeen version, uh, two thousand seventeen bike. Uh, whereas here he had the same setup as as Davizioso and Lorenzo, one with a salad box and you know, a revised exhaust position, and yeah. then a, a kind of standard, um, you know, back to the bike. And yeah, he was basically saying that um, that the newer of the two bikes it just feels better generally it feels better with how it delivers its power and it also feels better when you turn it into the corner as well uh, it gives it you're able to break a little more a little deeper and with greater stability um so it appears that the you know the salad box uh, model is is what Ducati will roll out in qatar for the first race uh, um, did did you get any idea of when Ducati might actually start to show their aerodynamic solution? Again, very, very tight-lipped on the subject. Um, but you have to imagine that they'll show it at Qatar at, for the test. You have to imagine they'll show it at some point there. Yeah. Um, because that's only, what, two weeks before the first race, um, maybe less than two weeks, actually. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure when it will be, but you have to imagine it will be at the Qatar test. Yeah, because it's going to be interesting to see how much difference that, that can actually make with the, uh, uh, to the, especially for the basically 
where it really helps, I mean, apart from on corner exit, it also helps on corner entry because the front wheel is touching the ground and you don't have to ease the front wheel down before you uh, before you grab the brakes. You know, the, the, you, you can brake a lot stronger and it makes corner entry that a little bit easier. Exactly. And I think Lorenzo referenced that, especially at Turn 1 at Phillip Island when you're hurting along it um, close to, or well, probably well over 200 miles an hour. Um, and the front wheel is getting all jittery um, as you approach the brake. You know, it probably doesn't give you a great sense of confidence. Um, but, um, you know, I think Davizioso was saying that compared to this time last year, Ducati are definitely in a better position. They're definitely much more, they're much better sorted. Um, and he said that, you know, the bike is better than the 2016 model, just not a great deal better. Um, but I think the issue is just that, uh, you know, You've got Marquez and, and Vinales in such a strong position that, um, yeah, it's it's going to be difficult really for Ducati to, to fight for the win from the off as they yeah. have done in the past two years. Yeah, because just catching up is going to be that yeah, much harder. Exactly. And I, I know like we probably shouldn't read too much into the race run because, you know, um, neither of those guys were absolutely happy with the package. Um, but with Lorenzo's late race run on Friday afternoon he was close to I think his average time was maybe two seconds lap slower or just under two seconds lap slower than Marquez which is a humongous amount really yeah. around, a, around the track which is uh, what, one minute 30 seconds one minute 29 seconds yeah um, so yeah but then you know this is what we I think none of us expected Lorenzo to be strong in every single place he, you know by the end of Sepang I think he, we could both agree that he was in a, in a good position Phillip Island might just be one of those tracks that they, they struggle next year uh, or sorry this year um, and you know I, I do kind of foresee Lorenzo having a similar 2017 to the year he had in 2016 where he's blindingly fast and probably wins you know a handful of races but you know maybe isn't isn't so well placed at others yeah so he's going to be a bit of a random number generator where he's either first or 15th <laughs> Maybe not fifteenth, but yeah, let's say you know seventh or eighth. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, Ducati didn't uh, show their aerodynamic stuff, but Suzuki certainly did. Um, it, it was an interesting test again with uh, with Suzuki. Alex Rince really, really found some. Sp he was really impressive. Uh, Andrea Inoni sort of just on the face of it didn't look great, but his uh, but his race run was pretty good. Yeah, I think Iannone was fast on, on day one, um, but was rather anonymous in the second and third day. Um, was kind of just outside the top 10 and he finished uh, 13th overall. Um, and yeah, as you say, Rins was, I think, maybe the star of the test in, in some respects. Um, I was quite impressed with, with how fast he was in Sepang. Um, and I did slightly worry, you know, when he had that crash at Valencia at the end of 2016, it just was the, the end, it was the kind of culmination of just a, a nightmare couple of months um, you know, and you just kind of worried you know, is, is this really the rider that we thought he was um, but he definitely showed in Phillip Island that he is very, very strong indeed um, and um, yeah, kind of a mutual colleague of ours was speaking to some of the, the Japanese technicians at Suzuki, um, I think on the Friday at Phillip Island and they were basically saying that the bike is still some way off where they want it to be. And at Phillip Island in particular, it was Rins who was kind of making the difference for that lap time. Um, so that is quite impressive for a kid of, what, 20 years um, to finish sixth overall. And yeah, and I, I went out around the track on the Thursday and he looked really, really good. He looked like an really looked like a MotoGP rider and um, really in control sliding the bike but not too much you could see guys like Sam Lowe's for example he was sliding the bike like crazy but obviously it's not the most effective way of uh, of riding a MotoGP bike um, you know with both wheels way out of line um, when accelerating but Rins was doing that kind of thing where he was sliding but it, it was totally under control um, 
and also give you a an indication really of how sorted that Suzuki is you know it is it is a good bike very very fast bike yeah exactly I, I mean I'm I was surprised to hear you say that uh, Rince looked so good because he did look absolutely terrible at, uh, at Valencia he just yeah. looked so deeply uncomfortable uh, and then he had the big crash and you think that's got to be a terrible way to start the season sure sure exactly um, but yeah Suzuki um, obviously tested the new aerodynamics package but both riders were saying very little on the subject um, I think we're, we're going to have to wait until I don't know some way through the race racing season to, to kind of get a grip, get a good understanding of what each aerodynamics package offers yeah um, yeah yeah i think yeah. so uh, ianoni it, it seems to be very much the same deal with uh, 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 as yamaha where the veteran rider was doing all the testing and the young blur young gun was uh, going all out for for lap times because rinse was was brilliant and fast and uh, ianoni was grinding out the laps Sure, sure, exactly, yeah. Um, and we were talking earlier, um, I think maybe in the first part of the show, of those race runs at the end of Friday. Um, Marquez, Quartzo and Vinales were the, the fastest uh, of the riders when they were doing those race runs, but Ian only was fourth, I think, of all the guys that were, you know, that completed more than 10 laps on Friday afternoon. So, you know, it goes to show that, um, you know, Suzuki is in a pretty good position maybe not in a position to challenge um, Vinales and Marquez right at this moment um, but you know certainly well placed to be collecting top sixes occasionally pushing for the podium um, so yeah we'll have to see how about that um, but yeah Ian only I think he was saying that at, um, at Sepang that he was having some issues with the, the front end of the bike chatter was quite a problem and it, he said it was again occurring just not quite as strongly um, on the first day at, uh, at Phillip Island they, they fitted the bike with a new part a new component not the not the new aerodynamics package but a new component which he wouldn't he wouldn't reveal on the Thursday and he said that that went some way to remedying the, the, the issue um, they didn't have that for one reason or another on a Friday and the chatter came back a little bit so um, he seemed fairly confident that um, that this part that he had sampled on, on the Thursday would would be good would, would basically help uh, take that chatter away so we'll have to see how that works at Qatar uh, yeah and last year obviously uh, the Suzuki was really strong at some tracks and not quite so good at others we're uh, we're in for more or less the same sort of thing again next year yeah. or this year rather <laughs> I've made that mistake as well exactly. <laughs> are we in 2017 I have to keep reminding myself exactly we're, in, we're in lim- <laughs> caught in limbo between two different seasons that's the trouble we have to wait until exactly. Qatar I know two different seasons two different time zones yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a real nightmare uh, but yeah I would, I would say so yeah I think um, I think Ian Ono is going to be a podium contender at quite a few races but whether he can uh, accept the bike's limits uh, on those off days um, and even make the most of uh, of the good days you know because sometimes last year he was he was in a winning position on the Ducati and he just he wasn't able to to, to keep it together you know you think of the first race at Qatar um, Le Mans uh, Mugello you know there was races there that he could have feasibly won yep. but you know mistakes basically cost him so I don't know it's going to be you know, it's not like he's, you know, a spring chicken. He's, what, his mid-20s, 27, I think he is now. Yeah, 27, 28, yeah. And, you know, it's it's all right trying to eradicate those uh, those mistakes when you're 21, 22. Um, but when you're kind of in your peak years, let's say, uh, as, as I think you, we can agree that Ian only is. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a bit more difficult. So, yeah, I foresee Ian only having some great results, but I don't, I can't imagine him having a, you know, a season of... Sterling consistency, uh, as Vinales had last year aboard the the GSXR. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
the other refractory, Aprilia, uh, they also debuted their uh, rather interesting aerodynamics package. And Alasia Spargaro actually looked uh, quite impressive. So, you know, end of the test is top 10. Uh, that's, a good, um, that's a good basis to go, uh, to, yeah. to go from. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely it is, yeah. yeah. Um, didn't hear uh, it from him himself, but uh, supposedly he fitted the Aprilia with a new tyre uh, at the end of, of Wednesday, the first day of testing, and didn't find the lap time coming at all. And, you know, I think there were a few toys out of the pram um, in the Aprilia garage uh, that evening. Um, but he came straight out on Thursday morning and made some big improvements. And yeah, I think we can say that the Aprilia is a, a pretty good bike as well. Um, Espargaro said that the front end of the bike is just sensationally good. Um, he was one of the one of the riders that struggled more with the Michelin front tire, the adaptation to, to the Michelin's front tire in 2016, and he had a load of front end crashes throughout the year. Um, and I think he said that it was only around um, Motegi, um, maybe Aragon and Motegi at the end of 2016 when he started the feel properly confident with uh, with that front tire but he says that's not an issue here he said you can brake as late as he wants can throw the bike in it's very 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 stable um when he's applying as much front brake as he likes and yeah i mean you know another factory that you look at and you think man on the day they're probably they could maybe you know grab a top six maybe even more yeah exactly well I, I think they're stuck until they've got sort of you know a bit more horsepower because that was the one thing that uh that uh, Espargaro was was complaining about was just the lack of horsepower of the bike it really needs more uh, uh really needs more ponies but um sure. that's the, that's the sort of thing they can find they have the uh, uh they're still free to develop their engines so they can so they can do that uh Sam Lowe's I think spent most of his time on what was basically the 2016 bike right yeah all of his time I think yeah he spent all three days on the uh, 2016 bike um, and you could hear he was a bit peeved to finish last in the, the combined yeah. standings um, but considering where he was at the end of day one he had had two crashes there um, he felt that he had made some very solid improvements and you know at the end of the day he was only 1.6 seconds off you know finales yeah that's right that's right he was uh, he was the second most improved rider he uh, improved by 2.1 seconds over uh, over the three days uh, which is just Phenomenal. Um, oh, second note. I tell a lie. He was the third best because there was uh, Rince who improved more, and um, and Bradley Smith, of course, who also went quickly at the end of the uh, uh, the end of the test. But uh, yeah, I mean, Lowe's is just still in the still in the learning process. There's not an awful lot we can sort of say about him just yet. Sure, sure. He, he had a few issues at the end of uh, the final day as well. I think he, he ran out of fuel, which you know, ah. I think is, is quite annoying for any rider. Uh, but yes, at one point he ran out of fuel and he also had a duff tyre, I think, or a tyre that just wasn't quite working as he would have liked. Um, Michelin brought tyres which they feel would be appropriate for the race at Phillip Island, which is obviously held in October, which is more or less going into the Australian winter um, here we had very high track temperatures in the middle of the summer um, so a lot of the riders were saying that the tires for this time of year were just a bit too soft um, and you know they would find it quite difficult I think Cal Crutcher was saying that he would find it quite difficult to put more than 15 laps on a tire without it you know destroying itself um, so so yeah I think Lowe's had one of these issues he seemed quite confident though um, when he sort of you know, thought about the whole thing. Uh, he said that he felt if the race was a day after the test, he could be fighting for 15th uh, for World Championship point, um, which, you know, really, I think f for the stage that he's at, 
on a bike that's year old isn't isn't bad going. So we'll have to see what he's like. He's going to be testing the the seventeen bike for I think for the first time in in Qatar at the test. Um, so I think that'll probably give us a more realistic indication of where he is. Right. Well. Um we have one more factory and some rookies to talk about, but I think we shall do that after another break. David Emmett here. Just a quick reminder, if you're listening to this show on iTunes, please remember to leave us a review and a and rate us, as it really helps other fans find the show. Thanks a lot. Bye. Right, so here we are again. Um, we've had five of, of, of MotoGP's six factories, uh, which is just an astonishing uh, sentence to say. Um, we have KTM. Uh, KTM seems to be making progress, but they have an, um, just an absolute mountain of work to do ahead of them, don't they? They do. They have a mountain ahead of a mountain of work ahead of them, um, which you know should really come as no surprise to anyone. Uh, it being their first. Uh, full season in, in MotoGP as a, as a full factory team. Um, but for Paulus Bargro to come away from Phillip Island with a lap time that was just 1.3 seconds off Maverick Vinales' fastest time, and for Paul to then say that um, his ideal time, if they took his, his best sectors um, you know, from the laps he completed on the final day, uh, him to say that that ideal time would have been, I think, three to four tenths faster than what it was, uh, I think we can say that that's pretty good going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I've been saying that they KTM seem to be about where Suzuki were in their first year, uh, on their first year back. Which for a team to come with a completely new bike, completely new design, it's just uh, you know, it's uh, they're doing well. It's just that the problem is it's the the depth of field. You know, they've got five other factories to to, to beat, which is um, uh, just really tough, and some really 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 quick satellite bikes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the the, the competition is definitely there, um, but I think you could see that just from uh, the enthusiasm that not just the riders have brought to this project, but the engineers, um, you know, I think that's going to carry them quite a long way. And it, yes, it may be a new bike, um, but you look at Paul Espargaro's side of the garage and you've got quite a few faces from uh, the HRC garages in the past few years. Um, you've certainly not an inexperienced team. Uh, yeah. yeah, the bike might be new, but the, the team certainly isn't. And, you know, it knows a thing or two about how to program a bike to, you know, be as fast as, as anyone out there really um so yeah so it was it was very interesting i think you know we, we, we mentioned this a little bit with uh, honda um adapting the kind of mapping settings to their new engine um bradley smith was saying something very interesting on the wednesday the first day he was saying that that was basically an indication of what certain race weekends are going to be like this year when they visit tracks that they've yet to visit or they've yet to test that um he said i think after four or five hours they'd completed something like 20 laps on the wednesday and he was yeah. and he was saying to his mechanics like look guys you know if this was a race weekend we'd already be over or we'd already have completed fp3 and we're still trying to iron out like electronics issues and get the bike to work basically just you know to lap within five seconds of a leader so he was saying that is that that worried him slightly you know that that kind of let him see just how big um 
you know, bigger, bigger task. This is going to be at certain tracks. And he mentioned uh, Texas in particular, you know, a track that contains 22 corners. He said, like, yeah. setting up the electronics or getting a, a vague kind of base for all the electronics, you know, the engine mapping or uh, you know, the, the engine braking, uh, the traction control, all of that sorted out. He, you know, he foresees that as a very, very difficult round. Um, but then you look at where they've got to and, you know, I think it's very, very respectable. They were less than two seconds off in Sepang, both riders, I think. And, yeah, um, yeah Spargo was 1.3 off in Yalas and Smith was 1.4 off. Um, so, yeah, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I think they're probably going to be scoring points quite early in the year, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be another one of those where they'll be, um, uh, be surprisingly strong at some tracks and absolutely dreadful at others. Sure, sure, exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, electronics aside, I think that's where they, they made the biggest improvements over the, the over the three days you mentioned smith um improving the most of all the riders 2.7 seconds from day one to, yeah, to day yeah, three yeah. which is really quite some going um but they i think kate they had three different chassis to test in sepang espargaro liked parts of one chassis and parts of another uh, and ktm then went and basically brought a new chassis uh, designed a new chassis taking the Spargo's comments in mind and both him and Smith agreed that they were um, you know the chassis was definitely the right way forward they're still looking at you know getting that par down to the ground um, in a very manageable way as something that can be improved and Mike Leitner was saying to me on on the final day that um, they're going to have a, a revised engine um, for the Qatar test um, I'm not sure he didn't go into specifics of how revised that's going to be but you know, definitely uh, an engine upgrade so so that should be interesting um, yeah yeah, the, the the engine upgrade certainly sounds interesting, but they could end up uh, with the same problem that Honda's got. In fact, the, because the uh, especially as the bike actually looks so much like the Honda, they uh, it's doing it seems to be having a lot of the problems the Honda has, which is a very aggressive engine which doesn't want to accelerate. And also, then you bring a new engine spec to Qatar, and you've got to try and figure out the electronics because uh, actually getting the, the getting the torque map sorted is such a huge task, which you can do on a dyno, but it's just not the same. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes. So I think it's it's uh, it's very encouraging for KTM. Um, and as you said, there's going to be difficult weekends. There's going to be weekends where they're probably struggling to get into inside the top twenty, and then there's going to be weekends where I can see them fighting for the for points and maybe even top tens by the end of the year. Is that? Yeah, I, that, you know? I, it certainely wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I, I, I found it interesting. I spoke to one um, senior person inside a rival factory, um, and uh, they were convinced that um, uh, KTM will be forced to drop their uh, trellis. Uh, chassis and go with a uh, go with an aluminium beam chassis, but uh, I I'm not convinced because his point was that um, this is the, the you know that this is the solution which everyone uses. Um, it's been proven that this is the, the, this is the best solution, but uh, I'm still not entirely convinced. I think um, uh, I think KTM have uh, an advantage, and the other thing is they've got an in-house basically got an in-house suspension manufacturer um, with very very intensive communication uh, between the two. Uh, basically the racing the racing department and the and the chassis manufacturer so they can actually tune both parts of their package to put together to make it uh, to make it one so mm. like i said it's certainly it's going to be absolutely fascinating to uh, to watch um right now obviously it's, it's not the factory you want to be joining if you're going to be a uh, if you want to be a MotoGP gp world champion but um 
uh, 18 months down the line, who knows where uh, where we're going to be. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's just the, the sheer weight of, of components to test is, you know, proven to be a massive motivator for both riders. Uh, I think Spargo was saying on, on the Friday that they even had some parts left over that they didn't get around to testing and that's in three full days of, of you know great weather um and he was comparing that to you know tech three where maybe halfway through the season yamaha would say oh here's a, a swinging arm that valentino didn't really like do you want to try it um <laughs> and sometimes they wouldn't even say that you know so yeah um you know it's definitely a big big contrast uh, for both the yeah, riders that yeah. have been in Tech 3 for the last couple of seasons. Yeah, exactly. And there's no uh, uh, there's no doubt that KTM are taking this very seriously. They're clearly in it to win it. And they, um, uh, uh, there was the bike launch. They showed the new livery, which actually looks really nice, oh, I have great. to say. looks great. Yeah, superb. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. And it's not as if Red Bull uh, don't make any money off of their sugar water. So uh, <laughs> they've can uh, uh, plenty of money to spend there. Yeah, and it's not as if they're not run by a, a CEO that lacks ambition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you listen to Stefan Pira's comments that... Uh, uh, well, at the, at the team launch in um, in, in in Austria in during yeah, the MotoGP yeah, yeah, run, yeah. I think in, in last year he was saying that you know it's his dream to win a MotoGP, which I thought, my goodness, that is quite a quite yeah. quite a thing to say. Um, so early in yeah, the project, exactly. He also managed to take a few pot shots at, uh, at Honda and the other manufacturer. Take the, the the best the best thing in life is beating Japanese competitions and calling Honda his most hated rival. So uh, you know it's uh, it's all it's definitely spicing things up for for for, for 2017. Uh, the other ingredients spicing 2017 up is the rookies. We have. What a class of rookies we have this year. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, four very, very capable rookies indeed. And off the four of them, Jonas Folger has been the guy that's uh, that's been impressing the most. I know we're only in, you know, we've only done two uh, tests in 2017, but Folger has been really, really good. And I think he was fourth overall in, in, in Australia. And I must admit yeah. that that really caught me off guard. Yeah, except well, I mean that's the thing about Folger because Folger was one of those in Moto Two was one of those riders who and the same in 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 one two five in Moto Three he was one of those riders who uh, would either win a race or end up faceless well down the order. Uh, so far, I was just so far he hasn't been faceless, but you know he's either been very he's either been sort of good or just outstanding. And certainly at uh, Philip Island he was outstanding. Um, at uh, Sepang it was. Johan Zarco who really really impressed me uh, especially with his with his approach and with his uh, with his race run uh, again um, uh, Zarco's race pace was very very solid it was not that far off of Ian Oni's so it's um, uh, yeah really really looking forward to, to to seeing these two how these two do yeah definitely I think you posted uh, quite an interesting tweet on on the Thursday after the Thursday sorry of Phillip Island and you combined or you looked at the you took the best 27 laps which is the race distance uh, yeah. from each rider. And you kind of got the average lap time from that. And uh, the top five were Vinales, Marquez, Crutchlow, and Zarco. And um, yeah. then Rossi. So Zarco was actually faster over 27 laps than Rossi. Obviously, that wasn't 27 consecutive laps, but nonetheless goes to show that he's consistently quick. And he's another guy that didn't fit new tires at the end of the day, didn't focus on that headline time. Um, I think he you know, basically called it a day early on Friday. And he said, look, I've just I've done what I need to do. Um, I've, I've, you know, I've kind of tested all the components I have, and you know, there's no point in going out there. So Zarco was definitely one that maybe went under the radar. He was 15th fastest in the overall timesheets, but uh, as your 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 tweet uh, 
demonstrated he is very very capable on race ones and I mean you know Zarko just looking at uh, what he was like he was an animal when it came to the end of the race in Moto2 in the last two seasons he was just fantastic yeah. um, so we know that, that that is an area that he is very very strong in yeah exactly I mean my, my personal prediction for, uh, for for 2017 is that um, uh, I think Folger is going to be the first of the two to actually score a podium because both of them have got the pace to actually be on the podium really and the, uh, and the 2016 Yamaha is, is, is a good enough bike that, that they can get there. I, but, I mean, I think I think Yona uh, Folger is going to be the rider who's, who's who would be on the podium first. But Zarco is going to end up much higher up the championship just out of sheer consistency. So you see both Tech Three riders being on the podium this year? I don't think it's impossible. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I mm, the about, I think the likelihood of it is of them both being on the podium is above fifty percent. So uh, I'm, I'm I'm that impressed. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No, I, I just look at Paul Espargo and think that he didn't. You know, I think I would maybe put Espargo just a little level ahead of, of both those guys, and to think that he didn't get a podium um, on that in that package. I still have my doubts. It is still very early on testing. They're riding a bike that is pretty much as sorted as it will be this season. Yeah. But, but yep. I, you know, I, I, I definitely think I can see Zarco doing some really good things and, and on his day, Folger, you know, impressed him quite a lot as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think the difference between 2016 and 2017 is that in 2016, the Tech 3 boys were basically on a bike which had been designed for uh, been designed for Michelins, or for Bridgestones, I beg your pardon, um, because they were on the, um, uh, you know, what they do, what Yamaha do is at the end of, uh, at the end of each year, uh, uh, after the Valencia race, they roll the bikes out of the factory garage and into the Tech 3 garage and then uh, leave them, uh, leave them to, to play. Uh, and I remember... Um, uh, Bradley Smith speaking all year about running into a physical limit which they couldn't do anything about and I strongly suspect this has something to do with the completely different uh, weight balance uh, which the Michelin's required so I suspect that the Yamaha is um, the, the, the 2017 satellite Yamaha so basically the 2016 factory Yamaha is a it, it, it's still a pretty good package and especially if they get the engine upgrades uh, that the factory boys have so um, well we shall have to wait and see it's, but I'm really looking forward to it anyway yeah absolutely absolutely yeah it should be good both have shown that um, they're, they're going to have to be taken very seriously indeed so who's going to finish top rookie um Zarko, I think. In terms of the championship, I think Zarko is going to finish the top. I think Rins is probably, I would say Rins is more likely to get a podium before any, you know, before um, the Tech 3 guys in Lowe's. Um, because I think Rins is that talented. Um, you know, he, and, he, and the, and, yeah, and, and and the bike is good sure, as well. Sure, the bike is already, you know, very, very well sorted. Um, but in terms of, you know, piecing together a year, Zarko is a few years older than the rest. Uh, well, a few years older than Rins and Folger anyway. Um, so yeah, I would, I would put my money on Zarko. What about you? Um, I would, I would probably agree with that. I w- I think, I think you're right. I think Zarko is going to be, um, uh, is is going to finish his top rookie. But um, yeah, I mean, Rins, uh, Rins has got a lot more advantages than uh, than the Tech Three boys have because you know he's got the full factory backing behind him. So, but. Um, I'm just really looking forward to it for, for, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, it, the strength of the Tech 3 guys, you know, you add those guys into the mix, those satellite riders, you add in Crutchlow, you add in Miller, 
plus the 12 factory bikes. And suddenly, if you're a guy like Scott Redding, um, yeah. you, you know, you start to see the season ahead is quite a task. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, that was one of the things. So, for example, the, the contrast between Alvaro Bautista, who's just been sensational on the um, uh, on the Aspar Ducati, and Scott Redding, um, who's really, really struggled. Um, it's just, uh, it, yeah... And for I, I can't really explain it. What was what was Scott Redding say about uh, about his problems? Yeah, he was saying that um, that it just wasn't all. It just wasn't coming together. It wasn't working. Um, he was having really big, big problems on the first day. Um, every time he touched the gas, the rear wheel would come round. Um, just was zapping all of his confidence, and he yeah was. He looked like a guy that um, you know just wanted to throw in the towel on the first day, but he. he in fairness, he did make some um, some improvements. He, he made it. He made headway with that issue, that one particular issue. He said he's still having. He doesn't have confidence with the front end of the bike, um, and I think that's the, the settings with the front are quite different. And he's hoping in Qatar to go back to some fork settings that he used last year, which will give him a bit more confidence when he's braking. But yeah. I don't know. It's difficult to say. He said he made some slight improvements with electronics, but he's still quite some way um, outside the ballpark of where he needs to be in terms of uh, arriving at a comfortable setting. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been quite surprised. Um, I thought, you know, especially when looking at, at Bautista's speed um, yeah. in, in Jerez last year um, and then in Sepang, I kind of thought Redding would be a bit closer in the mix. But um, yeah, one hopes that, you know, the whole end of 2016, the way it didn't go so well um, in that kind of inter-team battle for the the, the, yeah. the latest Ducati bike, you, you, one hopes that that isn't still a kind of source of frustration for him, you know, and he can kind of move on from that and put that past him. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, exactly. Even Hector Barbara, who was, a, who was very, very strong last year, you know, he finished overall 15th, something like that. Yes. It's... Uh, um, like you say, the the field is just so strong that um, if you if you're just that little bit off, um, you you're facing disaster. You could quite easily be out of the points. So, yeah. um, which makes the it actually makes the championship a lot more interesting because if Maverick Vinales or da, or Mark Marcus rock up to a track and they're just that little bit off, it's no longer you know fighting for fourth. It's maybe fighting for tenth, and that's all of a sudden big points difference. Yeah, yeah. But can you really see Marquez fighting for tenth? <laughs> not, not, not very often. <laughs> yeah. Not, not, not very often. From what we've no. seen so far this year, I would say that that's that's going to happen quite rarely. But but who knows? Right. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, on the twenty eighth of February, the launch of John McPhee's British uh, Moto Three team is going to be uh, is going to be launched. Um, there's all they're also going to be annou uh, announcing a British Talent Cup, uh, which is something which Dorner are uh, behind. Um, I am quite fascinated by this because it seems like um, Dorna are getting more and more involved in sort of talent cups all around the world. All around the world, so um, uh, it really seems like they're pushing to develop talent outside of Spain and and uh, well, basically stop the Spanish Championship, the CEV, as as being the the, the main source of talent. Yeah, exactly. I think when you look at the when you look at Moto Three. Um, most of the riders in Moto3 come through the, the, the FIM Junior World Championship, which is basically the, the Spanish CEV Championship. Um, and that is predominantly made up of Italians and, and Spaniards. Um, so yeah, Dorna seem to be very, very keen to um, to change this and to try and mix it up. They've already got the, the Asia Talent Cup, of course, um, which which 
specializes in finding talent from Southeast Asia, uh, Japan, uh, India, um, countries like this. And uh, yeah, they're they're, hope, they're hoping to do the same thing with uh, with the British Talent Cup. They've got McPhee's team in the Moto3 class this year, which is called the British Talent Team, uh, which is going to be run by Alberto Pooch, um, who's obviously found you know a whole host of uh, of exciting young talents in the past, like uh, Pedroza and Stoner. Um, so Pooch is going to be managing that team. It's going to include Jeremy McWilliams, um, obviously Northern Irish legend of the sport. Uh, he's going to be kind of a rider trainer, uh, rider coach for for McPhee, I think, in the Moto3 class this year. And uh, yes, that's re- that's basically like a. I think it's it's that's basically you know a sign of where British riders can get to. Um, you know, if they have the the required talent and skill and um, and 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 you know approach. Um, Dorna are going to have um, a run out like a yeah. What do you call that? What's the word, David? I'm stuck for the word. Development series. A development series, yeah. But but before you try out, like a. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 I see yes yeah exactly like a uh, like audition. There we go. That's it. Absolutely, yeah, an audition. Yeah. So Dorna. Are- my my years in the theatre started to pay off. <laughs> Exactly. Yes, as a as that beautifully trained ballet dancer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A, yeah. Com- a complete thespian. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so they're going to have a, an audition for the series, which is going to start in 2018. Um, Carmelo Espaleta was at the movie star Yamaha launch in, in Madrid at the end of January, and we were able to ask him a few questions about this. Um, they're going to have, um, yeah, an audition for the series uh, before the British Grand Prix at Silverstone this year in 2017 and then the series is going to start next year in 2018 and that's going to be across five or six races still we're a little unsure on the specifics of the, the British Talent Cup um, from what Espaleta was saying it's not going to run at BSB meetings for example um, yeah it, well I mean given that um, given this well Stuart Higgs and BSB BSB is, has always been in in competition with World, with the World Superbike Championship as the biggest sort of production bike uh, racing championship um, or at least perhaps the, the most po- uh, the most popular. Uh, also, we have the problem that British tracks are so very, very different in in character to Grand Prix tracks, basically, because they're so much narrower, uh, tighter, um, uh, yeah, uh, you know, more corners and fewer uh, fewer straights. It's a different. It's it's a different discipline. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we're still waiting to learn exactly what's going to happen there. I do believe that Espelette met with uh, Stuart Higgs and uh, Jonathan Palmer, um, who kind of uh, is the owner of the the company that owns BSB, um, at the start of February to discuss you know specifics and how they're going to work this out. So I'm sure at the launch, David, um, you're going to get some good info on just you know the more kind of specific side of of how they're going to run it. Um, but yes, it seems that this is going to be a pipeline into you know riders of about 13, 14 years of age. It's going to be a single make series, uh, very much like the Asia Talent Cup. Um, yeah, riders are going to be able to get into it and to run. Uh, running it for a season for, you know, a very affordable price. And, you know, you have to imagine that the winner of that will probably go into the the, the FIM Junior World Championship. Um, and if they show well there, you know, it could lead to a full-time uh, World Championship ride. Yeah, but, but like I said, it's interesting because Dorna are now there, uh, they're heavily involved in Moto America. I think you were saying before we got on air that they were also uh, something to do with the ADAC Cup in Germany, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. So they have basically said that the winner of the ADAC Cup, um, which basically focuses on Germany, um, will have uh, a slot in the FIM Junior World Championship, the final two races of the year in the FIM Junior World Championship. And, you know, I'm assuming that they'll be on fairly decent kit and packages. Um, 
you know, so yes, so basically, yeah, Dorno just looking to extend their reach and to to kind of find talent from from all over. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, being a, a cynical hack, um, they're f- able to sell their package to, to to you know to kind of a, let's say a TV company in Germany if they have two or three budding young German talent in Moto three. And, you know, likewise, the same in, in, in the Netherlands and the same in America or Mexico or South America. Yeah, exactly. Because basically they're not going to get a lot more money for the uh, uh, for the package than they're already getting in, in Spain and Italy. And so if you have a popular Amer- American rider, you can get maybe two, three times the money that you are getting, which, I mean, they're not getting an awful lot from uh, from the broadcast rights in the US. Uh, but if they can sort of triple that, that makes, a, that makes a big difference. If they can get more from the UK, if they can get more from... Um, uh, 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 from you know uh, Eurosport, more from uh, the other broadcasters. So yeah, I think there's obviously they. In the end, it's all about TV. It's all about TV rights because TV rights is what is what keeps everyone fed. So uh, it, it's self-interest, but it's good to see. I mean, it's good to see for fans all around the world because it means they'll they'll have someone to cheer from, a uh, cheer for rather than just you know their favourite Spaniard. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, Pick a Spaniard, any Spaniard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So exciting times, really, for for, for British yeah. British and Irish riders, and that should be interesting to see how it goes. That's right. Well, what's uh, what's what's next for you, Neil? Uh, Qatar. Uh, I am extremely lucky to be attending the, the test in Qatar, the final preseason test of the year. Oh, you you that the, the, the that's that's a golden ticket. That yeah, one exactly, is exactly yeah, bucket list kind of thing ticked. Yeah. Ticked off in, yeah. in one fell especially slip. the test, especially the test. There, there's nothing quite like the excitement of uh, testing in the middle of the night yeah. in the middle of the desert. If you think those Qatar uh, grandstands are bulging full for the race, <laughs> just wait you see the amount to pour in through the turnstiles for the test. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I can. I can hardly wait. Well, I shall be. Uh, I shall be at a track before you. I shall be going to the um, uh, Moto Two, Moto Three test in the in early March for a couple of days. I haven't quite figured out how, when, where, all the rest of it. But um, uh, I think Moto Two is looking really quite tasty this uh, uh, this year because uh, all the the top talent is all out. So yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, Moto Three Two. Yep, Moto3, yeah, exactly. You've got uh, that, that wonderful class of rookies now, all with uh, a season under their belt. Um, you've got a couple of guys got- like Antonelli uh, out there to prove a crazy point, Fanati coming back into it. Yeah, Fanati coming back is going to be is going to be fascinating to see that to see whether uh, you know whether because that's a character issue. That's basically just down to uh, has he learned his lessons <laughs> from being an idiot in uh, in in his first few seasons? Yeah, and can he just calm down and focus and and try and be a champion because he's such a talented rider? Yeah, exactly. And then uh, in Moto Two, I guess you've got like a couple of the more experienced guys that have been in the class for a while. You know, your Tom Ludis, Nakagamis, Morbidellis. And you're looking yeah. at them and thinking, right? Can they can they make the step up and really, you know, make it their year? Um, yeah, exactly. And we've got rookies coming through. We got you know Brad yep. Bendos, the champion, the KTM coming coming in with a completely new bike. Yep. Oliveira on the uh, on the KTM, and all. I, I'm just so impressed by Oliveira. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, got Jorge Navarro uh, coming up. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've got Suter also obviously making a comeback with uh, with Danny Kent and, and Dominic Agutter. Yeah, um, absolutely. Can Danny Kent find his mojo again uh, from the times uh, earlier this week? It looks like, uh, you know, Kent was uh, was pretty much up there. Uh, Baldassari and uh, Marini were also yeah, yeah. very, very quick as you, uh, on, uh, on, the, on the first day of testing. Exactly. So there's uh, uh, Pekka Banyaya who is just, I mean, well, yeah, I have very high hopes of him, but we'll have to see what he's like on a Moto2 bike. Yeah, Quadraro coming in to see the Ponza's team. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's going to be make or break here for Quadraro. Uh, again, a, 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 a rider who received too much praise and not enough beatings. Um, G- who guilty is officer. Op- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because I mean, his talent is just beyond question. It's um, it's about uh, it's about actually being able to perform. Though that's that's uh, being talented isn't enough. You also have to win. Exactly. So plenty to look forward to. Yes, yes. Thank you all very much. I think. Thank you, Neil. Thank you yeah, for thanks, joining David. us. Cheers. Always a pleasure. Yes, it was indeed. Um, thank you all uh, for my, our fine listeners for listening to the Paddock Pass podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Paddock Pass Pod on Facebook. Um, I think Facebook uh, Paddock Pass podcast. Um, SoundCloud, you can get a check us on SoundCloud. If you listen to us on iTunes, please, please, please leave us a review uh, and a rating. Um, it helps other fans who might also be interested in listening to us wittering on about motorbikes find the show um, and um, apart from that keep uh, well, follow Neil Neil at Neil Morrison 1987 oh no yeah Neil Morrison 87 that's it that's the one that's the one me I'm at Moto Matters on Twitter um, you can find Steve English who's normally on here at Steve English GP um, um, uh, <laughs> And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Completely run out of steam. Right. Um, so anyway, thank you for all very much for listening and until the next time. Because I want to switch me batteries because um, uh, uh, I've got one click oh. less on me battery. Oh, 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 <laughs> oh. Who's that concerned about his battery life? <laughs> Pot <laughs> slash kettle. Yes, ex- <laughs> exactly. Exactly.